Thank you so much for joining us again on Growing Up on Death Row at 17. I'm back with my co-host, Brian Settings. Good evening, Brian. Hey, how you doing, Dave? Doing great, doing great. I know that uh, last month you went up to Jefferson City and met with the House of Representatives. They wanted you to come back this past Tuesday, which was March the 7th. How did that uh, meeting go? Didn't. That was the strange part about it. Because by the time we got there, the guys that I was with that was going to do the meeting with basically said they already canceled the hearing on the parole for juveniles and the reform for juveniles, and they canceled it to next year. I'm sure that had to be pretty disappointing. It was because, see, most of those guys now, if people don't know, been incarcerated over 30, some 35 years. And they was all kids when they went to prison. So the new law that, that gives them the right to go to front of the ju- front of the parole board after 30 years and release within five years after that, they had not been honored, man. They tried to say that these guys had multiple murders. And so now they running their time wild to where they got to do 25 on each one. If a guy had one murder, he only did 25. He got two murders. They want him to pull 50 flat years. With no parole. With no parole. And, and But it violates their own law about keeping juveniles in prison. And the thing of it is, it wasn't, it didn't really sit in until after the fact when I got there, because I got there kind of late. And it didn't register that this already took place. And uh, I would talk to one of the after They were like, man, listen, we wish you was here because, you know, I'm going to have a strong stance on everything. You ain't going to just close nothing off. Don't tell me what you close it off for. Just because I'm free, man, I still got like 20 or 25 brothers that still locked up that's right. supposed to be free as well. So I'm trying to understand this. I know they, they closed it off until next year, but I thought they had a law in the books that after 30 years that you – so you'd been there so long, they were going to release you anyway. Right. And it is the law. And the uh, thing of it is, they saying they got a lot of victims, what you call victim advocacy groups, basically that goes up in front of the Senate and they complain about how their child died or their husband died or their mother died, which, you know, and that gives them the right to do that because somebody killed your loved one. You got the right to go protest against it. You got the right to do your job for your own justice. But at the same time, whenever the United States Supreme Court came down with a law stating that these guys can't be held in prison no longer than 30 years. Right. But they came with another law with the last year. What basically was that it gave the prosecutor the, the right to go back and right his wrong. So if he put you in prison for 30 years, he got to, before you can file a lawsuit, he got the right to go correct that. And once he correct that, just your justice. You don't get no compensation or nothing after doing 30 some years. So they put a new law out with these guys that have multiple murders. They want these guys to do at least 30 years on each murder. But I've already done part. one. I've already done 30 already done one. one. Right. And the and the right. law states that after so long I should be eligible to be released. But you want me to do yeah, 30 and, and, for and, each. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was mandated from the that's, United States Supreme Court. That's very contradictory. It is, but you know the thing of it is, they 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 backdoor you, David. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, basically, what they did was after I left the Senate Committee the first time, they were so disturbed uh, how I talked to them, man. You know what I'm saying to, I pointed out in their face that I'm the reason why 
Y'all the reason why I'm angry. Y'all the reason why I'm bipolar. Y'all the reason why I have these mental issues. Y'all the reason why y'all did this. And I said, now listen to Have y'all ever heard the screams of little boys getting raped in prison, crying and hollering while these niggas in here laughing and raping these dudes and things of this nature? And he said, no. I said, well, I can't get it out of my head. This is over 30-some years. So they stopped the meeting and got it called Jefferson City like they were going to take care of something. But once again, Justice Department, you stick it to you, man. Waited till a couple more months, stuck it to us, man. And we'll bring it back up next year. But then when next year come, they'll bring it back up another year. About time that these men will be dead, man. These guys are already in their 50s. So, and well, uh, it basically been held unjust, man. It's almost like they're stalling. We can keep putting it off, putting it off. Again, to your point, these guys will no longer be with us, and we don't have to worry about it. Right, and and that's the, that's the, that's the sentiment I get from it because at the same time, the prosecutor attorney, Miss Kimberly Gard, he done a good job. She making these people investigate murder. She making these people look into things to where they know homicide was actually working with the public defenders off at that time. I got arrested. They were swapping you out. They'll let this guy go for a burglary, but, but you gonna let me get the conviction on him for a murder. And once she found out about the swap out, she made them go look through all the cases and released all of us. But the thing of it is, David, and I always said this, and I said it to the Senate committee, how the hell are y'all going to take the mercy of a child and put it in the hands of people who ain't got no mercy in them? They saying that a child committed a crime at 17 or under, that they were not even fully mentally developed. They not even fully understand their consequences or their actions or how long they're going to suffer within the prison system after doing whatever impulse crime they did. Right. But, but the thing of it is, if you tell me this, and you know this to be fact, and you know this to be law, and you actually let all us go because of this law, why y'all still holding them guys in there like that? It's almost like a double standard. We pick and choose how we want to let that law be carried out. But they pick and choose, but at the same time, David, I have a passion for helping kids. I have a passion for helping people. I have a passion for living life. I could have came out of prison, David, being an asshole, blaming everybody for my mistakes and why I was in prison. I didn't do that, man. I chucked that shit on up, man, and started doing stuff constructive, man, things that I know what I like to do. And that's basically motivation speaking. And I can't grasp the whole the concept of them brothers, man. They've been there, man, one brother now, he's a straight up friend of mine, been there since he's 14. He's 50 years old now. And um, the thing of it is, it's to them, it's getting to a point to where it's not even about what y'all think no more or about what y'all say. Man, these guys turn into diabetics now. These guys, one of my partners can lose a kidney. You know what I'm saying? One of them got John is already setting in. And what I mean by that is the Justice Department and the Attorney General, man, don't even have the decency, man, to let this man die at home. How many times has he been before the court or seeking parole that you know of? They haven't let them in front of the parole board because they came with a law saying that, OK, since we got to let y'all go, we want y'all to do 85 percent of your time. That means each case that you got and you was convicted of and those cases were separated. They want you to do the time on each one of them. Like I had a first degree murder. I did 30 on I did 25 on that. I had two ACAs, two on criminal action. They made me do six years on that. So that added up to 31 years. I basically did the whole time and I didn't have no more time to do. That's why I was released. The other 80-some people was released. But these other brothers, man, these good brothers too, man. I'm saying brothers where uh, we all know as a child, everybody makes mistakes. Right. 13, 14, 15, 16, 
It was even a time when you couldn't even dare think about throwing a 15 to 16 year old in prison around death row inmates. But the cold hardness of, of it is this here, David. I did some research and I can't remember this brother's name, David, but uh, he was the youngest person to ever be executed in the United States, man. He was 14 years old, just right before they killed Emma Tia. Mm-hmm. So if these people have the audacity to execute and kill a 14-year-old old black male, and then after he was dead, they found out he never committed the crime. Can't go back and correct that one. No, you can't go back and correct them. And the thing of it is, Dave, every day I deal with the consequences of our actions. People don't even know the tattoos on my face. Those are things that remind me of where I've been. I did 372 months. That's what's on my forehead. Life since when it was over. 10 years for each teardrop. Teardrop don't mean murder in prison. It means how much time you done did in prison. Right. And every day I wake up and look in the mirror and wash my face, I have to remind myself that, man, you don't never want to get another one of those tattoos like that. I'm playing devil's advocate in terms of uh, how people think you commit a crime, you deserve what you get. That's where you belong, no matter the age. What do you say to that? I can say this here. And I'm going to be frank with you. You know what I'm saying? Everybody have a place in life to where they play victim. You got a 13-year-old that killed a, killed a person. Okay. I don't know if, if he did it on impulse. I don't know if he did it because he was fear that something might happen to him. Who knows what was going on in the child head? A child head is unstable. Ain't nothing facts inside a child head. There is no facts in there. Everything is off impulse. But I'm but when the victim advocacy testified up at Jeff City, I didn't even I was gonna go hard on them, but I didn't. But when I was talking to the chairman, I said, listen, man, she claiming that her daughter was killed by another little girl. The girl that was murdered named Elizabeth Shaw. She was nine years old. She was killed by another teenager that was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying now, Dave? She wasn't killed by an adult. She was killed by another child that was 11 years old. But what made the crime heinous is the little girl had the nerve to say that she killed her because she wanted to know how it feel to kill somebody. And not truly understanding or grasping how serious that is. Right. And she still don't understand how serious it is. Because here's the thing of it is, David. If she'd have known she'd have been in prison all this time, man, and gonna be there until she's old lady, I don't think she would have did it. I would have did it. Right. And the thing of it is, and like I told the chairman, I say, let me talk to you for a minute, sir. I say, listen, we all been a victim of something from somebody, or it doesn't matter, even a small type of victimization, you still commit the same crime. If you victimize me, period. It's just the word, the name that ties in into the construction of the situation. I said, let me ask you a question. He was like, what's that? And I'm being honest with you. I say, listen, man, how many people in your lifetime that you didn't heard about the type of murders that African-Americans endured back in slavery? How are they still getting killed by police officers? You know what I'm saying? Okay, y'all been hearing this for years. So we've been a victim from y'all of years. We've been victims from you, Justice Center. We've been a victim of the courts. We've been a victim of the Democrats, Senators, Republicans. We've been a victim.
Well, everybody. We didn't die by every murder that you can name. You had black babies eaten, cut out their stomachs in slavery. You had people burned and killed in slavery. You had mothers that couldn't give birth. Master took a knife and cut a stomach over and took the baby out. See, the thing, the reason I'm saying is not to upset nobody. Don't come with me with this victim shit just because it was happened to a white girl. That shit can happen to anybody, man. So somewhere that shit got to balance out. I know part of the meeting, there was some positive that came out of it. We talked about the good time law. The good time law basically describes a situation where people do time in prison. But if you get your education, take classes and get credit, actually it knocks it knock time off your bit. But I thought part of the downside with the Missouri Department of Corrections is they weren't really allowing inmates to further their education or do anything of that nature to better themselves. Well, there is no education in school. There is none. Uh, basically, you in prison. Basically, you can take classes like ICVC, like Impact on Crime, No More Victims, and other type of classes, art classes. But for education goes, there is no education in the Department of Corrections. So I guess that kind of contradicts what they're trying to do. What am I going to be able to do to be rewarded for good time? Basically, you can't catch no violations. The good time law is really about nothing. It was just more talk than anything. It, it is more talk. Good. It is more talk. I understand the part about if you behave and I don't get in trouble. But from an educational standpoint, there's not a whole lot that I can do to earn points or be rewarded. Right. And the thing of it is, they call those inmates honor dorm inmates. They want dudes to go to prison, not catch no violations, CDVs, conduct violations, which is impossible. But you probably had a few people that have done it. And they just want them to be what you call a model citizen, a model prisoner, for real. The one who lead by example with no violations and nothing like that. And that will cause people to basically receive that good time deal. It's only going to be for a few. Because the Department of Correction know everybody in there catch violations, but you probably got a few I know did 30 years and then catch not one violation. So basically they'll knock off some time on his sentence, but how much time it wasn't described in the bill. I was gonna say what I gotta sit in the cell all day and never leave. <laughs> and basically <laughs> you got guys you like interactions, that. something's gonna pop off. Yeah. You got guys like that, but see the thing of it is. When you go through stuff like that and you're in prison like that, me, I was a very violent offender. So you, anybody that talked, I'll tell you that I was very violent, but I didn't give a fuck because I was sentenced to die. But I ended up getting my time overturned. But I was taking classes before I even got my time on the overturned. So basically, I just grew mentally and was doing what was best for me. And it all worked out in the end when I got released. According to Brian, the movie Colors and the song by the same name released in the late 80s is a huge reason why crime in the inner cities is so prevalent today. My big concern of growing up in the inner city of St. Louis and mm -hmm. the things I was involved in, if you didn't know, I ran with Bloods gang members when they first came out in 1986, when Colors first hit the screen. And basically, in that era, people didn't really have father figures, man. They really only had friends and brothers they considered their family. But there is no excuse for another person's action. Ice-T came out with this song called Colors. And I basically, I believe, personally, if he had never made that song in 1986, I don't think we'll be going through this type of destruction of the inner city community right now. 
And not only that, he had the nerves to get on live TV and say he denouncing California and ain't never going back to California due to the gang activity. But wait a minute, you the one started all this shit in other cities and other countries. You came out that song Colors. You came out with a song Cop Killer. And guys start killing cops. But then 10 years later, you end up playing a cop for like 30 years. So the reason I'm saying this is that I did a study and I was talking to you about it earlier, Dave. I ain't saying no names, nothing like that. But basically, according to my understanding and my research, rap music in the city and violence all tied into one. You have record labels that that that's I don't say no name, but have record label with people that have stocks in prison. And when these guys was coming out with these rap music, that was the whole intention, man, was to destroy the community and for them to get rich. They think they're getting rich because somebody love their voice. No, they get rich because you was a puppet. Putting this bullshit out here in the inner city and guys out here going off this gang shit thinking what y'all doing, y'all not doing. Ain't that one of you dudes killed nobody. Ain't that one of you dudes ever did none of this. But this is stuff you talk about and dudes and young black Americans, they very subconscious to where you can actually get to them with that type of music and, oh, I'm doing it because he doing it. But he ain't never done it. He was just rapping about the shit. And I'm going to tell you, I would listen to a speech, Brother Farrakhan, and he actually stated, and this was a speech I went back and listened to from 1989. It was 89, Dave. Mm-hmm. And it was on the public enemy. It was on the public enemy album. You see what I'm saying? He said, "Black people using your DJ as a fame to sell drugs." He was the only one to ever address that situation early in the early '80s, before it really got out of hand, and it turned into everything he said. So, in order to reverse all this type of mentality and the stuff that's going on in the inner city. Have you ever heard that song called Self-Destruction? Mm-hmm. And we all in the same game? Talk about by public. We all in the same game was that West Coast collaboration with Easy e MC Hammer and all of them. And then you had Dougie Fresh and all them other guys that was on the East Coast, and they came out with Self-Destruction. Okay, that's the one. But anybody that- Self-Destruction. We yeah, were, the, yeah. We that had it for I, I remember uh, Public Enemy being seemed like Flavor they on our heat and uh, Flavor yeah. Flavor Chuck D was at the end of it. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, that's the part I remember the most. But that's the message they need to get back to. In order to fix something, man, you got to rewind the time back. You got to go back. These things that the East Coast was setting out were well, storytelling raps. That was no violent in none of those raps. It wasn't no violent word in none of those raps in the 80s from the East Coast. No, Easy came out with, about with what they saw. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Easy came out with this straight out of Compton, NWA. They came with all this gangster stuff and things of this nature. And basically, it sparked rage within the inner city to where people were actually selling drugs to compete with each other. People was killing each other over colors. We was headed for we was headed for destruction, man. As soon as Ice T came out with that goddamn on um, color, I went to the movie and watched it. Before we even got outside, God knocked two dudes out of had on red shirts. The man that walked past you twenty years with a red shirt, right? And now red since it means something now, it didn't mean much, right? So that's my whole thing, David. And the thing of it is, I believe personally, man, in order to correct something, man, you got to go back. 
So Let's start all over again. On the on the I guess with that thought in mind in terms of the, the colors and the colors that you represented, what does that color mean to you now? Well, I represented bloods, and I'm gonna tell you something, it don't mean a goddamn thing to me right now because it's the same motherfuckers that I was running with that got me off into the gangs. They didn't send me not one letter. I did 31 years, not one picture, no money order or nothing. And then after my prison time and I did more investigations, I come to find out, man, those streets we were banging about and killing about, they was named after slave owners. Slave owners had tribal wars back then because one master, one black think they were better than the other one because his master had more money. And we didn't do nothing but continue with and bring it to our own destruction as we got up in the 80s, man, without even knowing. We were subconsciously unconscious about what took place back in those days. Man, I didn't, David, I didn't know nothing about gangs until I got introduced to that shit. I didn't understand why would I hurt somebody that wore a red shirt or a blue shirt. These things never came to my judgment, man, because I'm thinking it's something normal. But 30 years later, these guys actually feel as if they was inherited. And they feel they can keep continuing to do these type of activities. Growing up on death row always, we condemn that type of stuff, man, because if they don't know, I kind of told them. They got the National Guards finna come in in Chicago. They fighting it all. They signed a petition trying to fight it all, but these motherfuckers coming into Chicago and they finna start monitoring the street, taking over the state police. Last week, the St. Louis chief of police and they station, the state just took back over the police station down there again. The state ain't had it and they controlled over 40 years. So now the state is back in control. Who knows? We can have National Guards down here as well. Things keep popping off. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, man. You had an executioner-style murder downtown three weeks ago. Broad daylight, right Broad down the street daylight. from the courthouse. Yep. Guy racing his car, hit another car, killed four people in the car. Another guy hit a woman and knocked both of her legs off. And not saying that any of that is gang-related, but it's the fact that some of these folks shouldn't be on the street in the first place. Young man who hit the young lady and her legs have been amputated. Yeah. He shouldn't have even been out. But see, these are the things that's going on, Dave. And the thing of it is, I have a truth about myself. And in order for me to go forward in life, I had to take responsibility of my actions for what I did. I was in prison down there 15, 16 years, fought my case all the way until it got overturned. But I didn't escape. Yeah. A lot of people give up, David, but I never escaped the destruction. Because, see, they won mentally. They fucked me up mentally. I give them that. You know what I'm saying? It's a constant struggle for me every day. And now I'm making it available to people in the inner cities, not only in St. Louis, Chicago. Man, I love the United Kingdom. Man, United Kingdom been supporting me since day one. Australia, France, Finland, Sweden. We got Cuba, Mexico. You know, these countries, man, I love them people for that, man. I respect them a lot. And I basically, I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to always bring the truth to you, man. I'm growing up on death row. I don't give a fuck who don't like me.